welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So let's get started with today's show. Hello listeners, I'm your host Agnes Knowles and I'm really looking forward to introducing our guest today. Many of us boomers were brought up to not talk about finances, money, income. It was too personal apparently. But that also came with no real education about how to conduct ourselves appropriately, financially speaking, uh, once we entered the workforce. Today we are going to talk about it. Well, some of it. (laughs) Um, My guest is Nahani Aykroyd, a certified financial planner on Vancouver Island. I met Nahani several years ago in a women's business group. Her no-nonsense, unsalesy manner really appeared to me. She sincerely supported others in our community and the greater community, and I trusted her immediately. So, Nahani, thank you for coming on Two Boomer Women today and talking to us boomers about a few things financial. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, including maybe how or why you got into this field. Mm, Well, thanks. Thank you. I really appreciate being here, Agnes. Thanks. Um, How did I get into this? Uh, I was 45. 44, 45, and some changes had happened in my life, and I realized I didn't want to be an employee anymore. Um, <laughs> I had, you know, you go, oh, okay, I'm 45. The way I am right now, I'm going to be working till I'm 65, and I'm going to have two weeks vacation a year, maybe, and not really be in a good place now or in retirement. And I knew some people who did this for a living, and they had tried to get me before. <laughs> and I said, no, no, I couldn't possibly be self-employed single mom. Like, that's crazy. And then I went, you know what? If you don't take a chance, you don't get anywhere. And so I decided to take a big career change midlife. And there's been bumps along the way when you kind of go, huh, was this the right thing? But I always felt like I was in the right place doing this because I did get to help people, as you said. And so many of us have questions about retirement leading up to it and then into retirement. And we don't, as you said, get to talk about those things. People don't mention it until you're in your 50s. You start, oh, did you plan for retirement? What are you doing? What are you doing? And then you see your friends around you starting to retire. Oh, well, what do they know that I missed? And so I love being able to show people, here's what it looks like for you if you retire at 60, at 65, whatever the right number is for somebody. Some people are 55, some people are 75. It really depends. Um, But I love seeing people's eyes light up when they go, I don't have to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I find too, and you mentioned being a a single mom, as a single woman, you know, you see your married friends 
all taking these trips because they're still double income and they've paid down all their debt double income. And, uh, you know, you have to really step back and say, okay, that, that's not my reality. That's their reality because, and, uh, yeah, it, it does make a difference. So yeah, it's different for single and for married, like single. Also, I love working with single people because it's only you that's making the decisions. <laughs> You're not like, Oh, she's, you know, she or he is going to go home and has to talk it through with somebody else who needs to get on board and all those things. You get to be in control of it is kind of the magic of that as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, now, before I start grilling you, uh, can you clarify how far your license stretches? So if a listener is on Vancouver Island or in Ontario or in Australia um, and they like what you're saying, uh, how far afield can you actually work? Uh, so I am licensed for BC and Yukon. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Um, rules are different by province. Um, so if somebody fabulous was in another province and wanted to work together, you know, either we could figure something out and I get my license or I can introduce them to some great people. Um, because part of Freedom 55 is we're across the country. Oh, okay, great, great. Yeah. Now for that person in Australia, then who maybe can't, uh, what, what do you recommend people look for when they're looking for a financial advisor? Great question. Um, somebody you can work with, somebody you can tell your stuff to. Um, I can only help if I know about you, but I only know what you tell me. So when I'm talking to somebody, I'll ask you a bunch of questions, but you know, you might feel like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, we're taught not to talk about finances and not to have goals and not to have dreams. And so when I say, you know, what does your retirement look like? Or what are you thinking? If you don't really tell me, then I can't help you. Um, and so someone where you feel comfortable opening up to them so that you can answer those questions and share your your stuff. You know, we tend to talk about sex more than we would talk about retirement <laughs> or money, right? There's I'm going to get Bobby on here in a couple of weeks too. So okay, yeah, <laughs> so that ad on TV where these women are sitting around right now talking about their retirement in the kitchen. And I'm like, that doesn't happen. Like it's, it does yeah. sometimes, but not really. So someone where you can be comfortable asking questions where you feel that you can learn and grow with them. Someone ask them about their designations. What have they done? What do they do on an ongoing basis to um, grow their knowledge? How do they stay current? Because you can just have an insurance license and an investment license or one or the other, but not be a certified financial planner. And so there's a higher standard that we choose to be held to when we choose to be a CFP. And we agree to take more education every year as part of that. We write a, the hardest exam you've ever written um, as part of that. And so looking for those kinds of things, and it's okay to ask. Um, I meet women, especially who didn't know that they could ask for an advisor, right? You just get assigned to someone when you walk in okay. and you're allowed to shop around. You're allowed to look for an advisor. You're allowed to look for someone. It doesn't necessarily have to be another woman, but someone who you feel comfortable with, who you feel meets your needs, who sees things in a similar way, or at least understands your way of looking at things. Because any plan that I do for somebody, it isn't the same plan for everybody. Right. Because people go, oh, how much do I need in retirement? Well, I don't know. Yeah, right. yeah, <laughs> it yeah. depends on your standard of living, right? It just depends on your expectations. Yeah. And I think what I'm hearing, too, is something that oftentimes, especially women aren't good at saying is, uh, no, actually, thanks. I'm going to shop around. Yeah, yeah. You know, this so to be able fit. to actually. Yeah, this isn't a fit for me because you do have a right this is important stuff like even if it's not a lot of money and you know it's not a lot of money it's still important money yeah and that's important to you and that's all that really matters is it's important to you so making sure you've got someone who understands that 
It's very important. I've been really fortunate. I've only known three financial advisors in my life, you being one of them. And I just was, I fluked into comfort and trust like immediately. So, you know, it, it, I, I'm not the right person to answer that question. It's like, oh, they're all fabulous. Yeah, no, <laughs> all three, all three of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. No, for yeah. sure. Um, while I'm thinking about it, uh, we're probably going to toss out a few acronyms today. RRSP and TFSA are hopefully familiar to Canadians. Can you give us a quick explanation of what they are, maybe what the difference is in terms of retirement planning? Sure. So RRSP, um, probably since the 80s, you've heard of them and you should have them and you should be socking away money into it. So Registered Retirement Savings Plan. And that's the vehicle that you save into for retirement traditionally. And you get a tax break on the money that you put in when you put it in. And the idea is that when you take it out, at, you'll be at a lower tax bracket. So you won't pay as much tax on the growth on that and the amount of it later on. And then later it becomes a RIF. So RRIF, which is a Registered Retirement Income Fund. And that's the part we don't, you know, everybody gets told to save. But how do you actually get the money out? and when to take it out, all those kinds of things are very important. So there's rules about a RIF. Um, so by the time you're, the end of the year that you turn 71, you have to turn it into an income stream, but you could turn it into an income stream at 62. You don't have to wait. And so that's one of those things. And then the TFSA is the tax-free savings account and kind of well known as one of the worst named, most useful things in Canada, in Canadian finance. So tax-free savings account, Sounds like a bank account, um, but it's not. And it shouldn't be used like a bank account. You don't get a tax break on any money that you put into it, but you get, you never pay tax on the growth in that account. So right now, if you've lived in Canada, you know, from 2009 as an adult, you have seven, and you've never put into it, you've got $75,500 of room in there. So you can be contributing into that. Some people have those accounts they've contributed into every year and now they're worth $200,000, say, and they are never going to pay tax on the growth on that account. Or on the, that, like if you take it out, you mean? Like there's no tax yeah, paid. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You never pay tax when you take it out. Thank you. Um, and that also becomes useful for planning for retirement because it doesn't bump. It can We can use the tax savings account to help keep someone in a tax bracket that triggers government benefits because it doesn't show. Um, and it isn't counted, say, for us on Vancouver Island, Island Health is our health authority. If we were moving into a care facility here, they take 80% of your income to help pay for that. But the tax-free savings account or a non-registered account don't count towards that. So you can still have some money. And sometimes for couples, that's important for planning. If one of them has, if most of the income comes through one person, or you as a person who's moving into a care facility want to have a little bit more cash on hand, you can, we can do those things to kind of play with, you know, use the system a little bit. Yeah. yeah no, that's great. Um, it's, it's funny because I've got a few questions here, which just for the listener, Nahani hasn't seen my questions, no. but uh, you've just almost segued in, but I'm just going to add in here that boomers are somewhere between the ages of 56 and 75. Most of us are retired. Some of us are looking forward to retirement and some of us, as you probably well know, are dreading the thought because for a myriad of reasons, we have very little in the savings department. 
So I was going to give you two different scenarios, and the lucky boomer has, well, lucky, you know, to, moderately lucky, has four to five hundred thousand dollars in an RRSP, but she turns seventy-one in June. <laughs> so, I mean, you just segued into my question, which was perfect. Which vehicle should she be looking at to maximize the life of her income and minimize the tax hit? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> now, I hope that's not too specific. I... It's pretty specific. Diversification is always good, right? So that RSP, if she doesn't have a tax-free savings account yet, we'd want to look at that. The thing with RSPs that we don't really get taught, if she, say, had her 71st birthday but passed away later this year, that 500000 is taxed as if it was income to her this year which means 50% roughly, depending on which province you're in, uh, goes to CRA, um, if she doesn't have a spouse to leave it to. So that cannot, isn't always everybody's goal for their money. And this is where probably, hopefully she's been working with a financial advisor before now to help move some of that money out over time um, to help minimize tax. But at 71, if she's riffing now, there's rules about the minimum minimum amount that she has to take every year out of it. And she can take more, but there's a minimum that has to be taken out every year. And usually we want to sort of work with that line plus their tax bracket. She probably has CPP and OAS as well as this. And 7% roughly is going to be... 7% is about 7% of that is going into income when she turns 72. So what you're saying is part of your training is learning how to be a juggler of all things financial. Yeah, well, and what the person's goals are, right? So she yeah, might yeah. feel very charitable. And if she doesn't have kids, she wants to leave the money to doesn't have a spouse. And what are you going to do with this money? So my advice is always spend it if you don't have people you want to like enjoy it, right? Yeah. Um, but give as little as possible to the government. It depends on the person, right? I mean, I appreciate the things the government does for us, but oh, yeah, no, no, if yeah. she wanted to donate 100000 to charity through her will, that does great things for her tax situation. Okay. And give, making some donations while she's alive may help mitigate some of that tax if she wants, and she can see it happening. If it's really important to her to leave money to children, then how much are we leaving and when? And she may want to gift some of that during her lifetime as well because it's taxed to her, but it's not taxed later as a full big lump um, and she can see her kids or grandkids use that money while she's alive so it really is different for everybody some people feel very strongly and give a lot of money to their children sometimes to their own detriment or they're like you know what it's my money i'm spending it or it's a second yep <laughs> or it's a later relationship right this is a newer relationship they each have kids from previous or don't and so everybody's priorities are different with this so it would really be talking to her about what her priorities are and helping her know here's what the tax implications are to all these different pieces. I, you know, it's a strong strategy to start to move some of that into a tax-free savings account. Sometimes it's like 10,000 a year over into that, just to give her some flexibility if she needs something, if she needs a new roof at some point or a great cruise comes up or whatever, she can go to that without having to have a tax side to it. 
Okay, yeah. So, sorry, yeah, and as you were starting to answer that, I realized that's probably really specific because <laughs> I know what my goals are. I don't know what anybody else's goals are. <laughs> but for the opposite extreme, uh, so boomer number two has enjoyed her life for the last 30 years, 40 years. Uh, she has very little in the way of savings. She's looking forward to retirement, but she still thinks that old age security and her CPP is going to be enough to live on. Uh, what do you say to her? Yeah. Um, how old is she? Sorry. Um, how old is she? She's 62. <laughs> She's 62. So I would get her to call CPP and we can all do that. You can call CPP. You're on hold for a little while, but you can get the numbers. Yeah. So they will tell you this is what you can expect. Say if she decided to draw on CPP now or at 65 or at 67, she can find that out. And CPP is based entirely upon how much you and your employer have contributed each year over your lifetime. Um, potentially, if there was a divorce or a past spouse who passed away in there, that number comes into it as well. And there's dropout years, which can be good for women of childbearing, you know, for years they were getting, we were having kids, or lower income years as well can be dropped out. So getting really clear on what that number is. But CPP is based on you paying in. It used to be people were, and they probably still are, worried about, is it still going to be there for me? Yeah. Um, but it is based on you paying in. And it is managed retroactively, mm -hmm. so they never commit to the amount until it's fully funded. And so right now, we're all paying a bit more into CPP because the number will go up for us in terms of what we'll be able to draw on it. OAS, though, is a social benefit. It is based entirely upon can we afford to pay this to and people. And they're not generous. Well, it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> In terms of counting on that for living expenses. Yeah, no, it was like seven hundred dollars, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that amount can de you know depends on if somebody's higher income, then they may or may not get it. But lower income seniors will get it, and then there's a GIS as well, guaranteed income supplement. So if you have very low income, uh, the government will kick in and top you up. But it's like it's not very much. But getting the GIS can qualify you for a rental subsidy potentially, or bus passes, um, subs other subsidies. And that's where sometimes the tax-free savings account, you can have a tax-free savings account over here with 100 grand in it, but you look like you have no income, so you get the extra government pieces. Okay. So you can actually live not too badly, but again, it depends on your ex your expectations. The Probably the most extreme example I've seen is somebody who, I think it was about $430 a month, she was going to have to live on in retirement. Yeah. And she'd already gotten to the age there's nothing more really to do to, that we could do to change those numbers um, and other people aren't sure if they can live on four thousand dollars a month or five or six thousand dollars a month yeah at, at the top end of the the the, yeah. the 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 what's it called the curve everybody yeah you have to make those decisions i guess one of the reasons that i was i, pr I get prompted to ask that question is i've known women who literally have had to sell vehicles and especially in that first year that they retire because suddenly their income has dropped they don't qualify correct me if i'm wrong they don't qualify for the gis the guaranteed income supplement because it's based on last year's tax right. yeah. return which was high yeah. and um you know so they're really struggling i knew somebody else who actually had to sell their house wow yeah, um, yeah so well, and one thing, yeah, and so but there's things you, sometimes you can do with a house, right? Um, yeah. In terms of, but we need to set it up while you're still working. But there are ways to access the equity in the house, um, too. So it's being a bit ahead of it rather than waiting okay. until 
it's awful, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Um, when I was just going to say too that a lot of listeners are used to my dog barking, so if you hear her barking, I try to edit it out when I can, but okay. sometimes it does, sometimes <laughs> okay. it doesn't. <laughs> we both, I think, having talked to you in the past about this, promote critical illness insurance. Um, I do want you to touch on that while you're here. Is there anything else, so just generally speaking, about Retirement 101 that you want to add before we move on to... Yeah, yeah, definitely those protection kind of pieces, like risk mitigation, so critical illness insurance, setting it up beforehand, you know, and it, it helps protect those income years as well. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get do get a critical illness, you've got some money to help cushion you, um, you're not having to draw down out of your savings at a time when you need those savings invested to be growing for you in the RSP or the tax-free or whatever vehicle. And really... I, I'm talking to a lot of people lately in their early 50s and it's it's a good time to be looking at this because you still have some working years and some ability to influence how your retirement looks but talk to your kids talk to your kids too because <laughs> we all go oh retirement's out there um, I have some clients in their early 30s who are highly motivated about retiring oh, wow. in their 50s and like we review every year and it's show me the numbers am I still on track is it and they you know, they still live well now. And that's always my thing. I don't, we don't know how long we're going to live. Yeah. If we knew that, then the planning would be easy. right? <laughs> <laughs> You've got $500,000 and we know you're going to die in July, 2022. Well, then let's, you know, party. <laughs> exactly. Whereas, you know, uh, as women, we tend to live longer and it could be 95 or more. And who's taking care of you then? And how are we going to take care of you? So Facing it is better than not facing it. It's one of those things people get so worked up about finance and retirement, but it's not going to get better by not looking at it. <laughs> and often it's better than people think it is too. Yeah. Like it, it isn't usually as bad. We just don't know and we don't want to, you know, we got, hear no evil, see no evil. <laughs> <It's> not, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Whereas if you actually look at it, it's sometimes not too bad and look at it while you've got a chance to make some changes. Cause there are things we can do sometimes as the advisor, if you talk to us, um, sometimes people wait and somebody's been sick for a long time and then they pass away and they've gone into debt or sell, sold off savings and things during that time. But if they have life insurance, there's, we can sometimes access it ahead of time and take some pressure off the family. So you can just be together pending COVID and all those things. But if you've set those things up, they may be able to do things for you. Um, but if we don't know about it, we can't help you. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think financial planners fall into the same category perhaps as mortgage brokers where people I can't afford it I can't do this I can't do that and you just assume that you can't do whatever it is whereas you sit down with a professional and all these lights come on all these windows open up and yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it's huge so yeah and I think on that people should know that in Canada you have a choice like fee-for-service advisors where you pay say to have a plan created you don't have to work with that advisor on an ongoing basis but you can get a plan in place mm -hmm. And I can do that as a certified financial planner, or there is the embedded fees, which get a lot of bad press, but you can get advice that you maybe couldn't afford. Yeah. If it's going to cost you $1,000 for a plan, or you invest your 20000 and get advice with it, and you never see the fees anyways, why not get the advice? So sometimes people think, I think, think we're not available, and we are, right? And pretty much every advisor will give you half an hour free anyways and sometimes more and mostly we just we want to help obviously we need to make a living we're self-employed but we also want to help 
film. Yeah, and I find too that because, you know, I mean, I've done research into this. I've tried to look at all sorts of things. And there is something about like investments and returns and all that stuff that I, I still go blank on. You know, so as far as I'm concerned, any fees, I mean, within reason, of course, but any fees that a reputable financial planner will charge you are well worth it to be guided. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you have a coach for anything else in life, you're prepared to pay through the nose. So let's, you know, pay for you professionals to, to give us the right information. Yeah. Well, and a big part of that fee goes to the fund managers. They stay awake at night. They don't sleep on weekends. Like they have a whole other lifestyle. And I think sometimes we think, you know, the TV version of, oh, they're making all this money and they don't care and all that. Well, yeah. all the presentations I see, they care deeply and they're required to invest sometimes like seven times their annual salary in the fund they're managing. So if you think they don't care, <laughs> <laughs> they care. Holy moly. <laughs> Or, you know what, yeah, well, you can be our fund manager. It's cost you $500,000 to be the fund, you know, to be in yeah. this. So they're invested in the funds that they manage as well. And that, to me, is well worth paying them. <laughs> I, I, I help with our behavior around investing. So if someone's nervous about the markets or wants to know something more, but those people, the fund managers, they're the ones really fine-tuning this and getting really, high, you know, into the details of the funds. Well, and I think, too, just from other people I talk to, is as long as you've got somebody managing things, you're not panicking over those little minuscule day-to-day -day ups and downs and, yeah, you know, yeah. that drive people to distraction and ulcers and all sorts of things. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Critical illness insurance. Yeah. Um, everybody should have it if they qualify. Not everybody qualifies. So it's a living benefit. Um, and that's what's different. Life insurance doesn't really help the person who's alive usually, <laughs> except for some peace of mind, maybe. But critical illness insurance pays a living benefit. And the idea behind it is it was created by a doctor, actually, um, a South African heart surgeon. And We've all heard of Dr. Barnard. Yes, thank you. I don't think everybody has, but yes. Oh, I just, all of us of a certain age have. Okay, good. good. Well, then you've heard about it, so you should. Um, and the idea is we're living through things that used to kill us, but we need some recovery time. And so this is a living benefit. It can be whatever, it's like 10000 even is the smallest benefit. So whatever the amount is that you, between balancing you know, your cash flow today with potential need of a benefit. And if you heart attack, cancer and stroke are the three most common that are covered, but like multiple sclerosis is covered. Um, there's even parts about organ transplant now. Like if you are donating an organ or receiving an organ, there could be benefits in there. And it's a tax-free benefit to the person who gets the payout. And somebody in our company, she, the first check she ever issued was actually to herself. Um, she's a young woman and she got skin cancer. And so she got a payout for it. And a few years ago, I had a breast cancer scare and self-employed. And I was like, okay, what do, like, you know, I'm scared out of my mind about my health. But I was like, you know what, I have that. It's a lump sum. What would I do with it? <laughs> And it was about hiring someone to help feed us and take care of my house would give, was what would give me peace of mind. You may not need it. You may have great benefits through your employer and not actually need the money, but you might have an epiphany and go, oh, you know what? 
I need to take a year off of work and I want to travel the world um, pre-COVID, obviously, but um, <laughs> and post-COVID. But you can do whatever you want with it. There's no rules about how you use it. And it, yeah, I've heard great stories from people who've had to receive it, um, but what it can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and just on a personal note, my very first financial advisor was a retired nurse. So she had gone from nursing into financial planning. And she, because of her nursing background, she basically beat me over the head and said, you've got to have this, like right at the very beginning. Now, because I was in on the ground floor, I I had a a plan where I paid in until I was 65. And if I don't draw on it, don't take it out between now and 75, I get all of my premiums back. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was early days and I'm sure there's still, I, I don't know, I understand those are still around, but they're also very expensive where, because I got in early, but just the, the peace of mind and especially single parent, you know, if, if something happens to you, you know, my kids are all grown now, but still, if something happens, you've got that peace of mind, you've got money in the bank to, yeah, it's just. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We still have policies that are called, it's called return of premium. Um, Yeah. And you do pay for that. And again, it's if you're younger, right, for any of these policies, they cost less usually, younger and healthier. Um, As soon as you have a parent, say, who has had colon cancer, your eligibility changes. Right. So there's things like that. So getting those policies in place while you're younger, the premiums are less, those kind of things. Women, we pay more for disability insurance, for instance, than men pay more for life insurance. (laughs) Right? <laughs> because they would rather die than go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> we joke about it, but there's a little bit of truth in there. Oh, well, no, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's fairly yeah. common. Whereas knowledge. women, our bodies are more complicated too. So we are used to going to the doctor and paying attention to things I think a little bit more, yeah. um, which means we're a little bit more likely to claim on disability insurance, for instance. Yeah. Okay. Um, One scenario that I tossed into an email when we were lining up this chat concerned a woman in her mid-60s. Her life insurance is expiring. To renew is ridiculously expensive as it would be even more ridiculously expensive 10 years from now or whatever. She does a term. Um, She's got no dependents, no debt. But if she gets hit by the proverbial bus next week, um, the tax hit on her investments could be now you said 50 up to 50 percent depends on how much it is how much is yeah. it because if it came in fully into income in that year so say even at, at say fifty fifty thousand dollars is that a conceivable amount tax hit no so fifty thousand if she doesn't really have any other income is just no no if it could that be the tax hit if she's got a fairly good um oh yeah yeah easily like if yeah. if she had five hundred thousand in investments like our earlier person okay 250,000 is the tax hit. Oh, wow. Okay. So do, do you have any recommendations around what, what the alternatives are for her? Because the beneficiaries have to pay that up front, do they? Is that correct? Uh, it's taxed to that person's tax return. And it, where it can get complicated is your RSPs, you've named your beneficiaries, gets issued to your beneficiaries, but the estate still owes the money. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so so this- like, yeah. So life insurance is sometimes a strategy, knowing that there's going to be a tax hit yeah. um, or that you want to make sure a certain amount goes to your family, um, charities, whoever you want to name as beneficiaries on the life insurance. 
term insurance actually has gone down in price over time. And so sometimes we can get insurance that's not too awful um, for people in their 60s, depending on how much it is. It's more the health side of it. Can you still qualify health-wise? And term insurance can, depending on who provided it, be converted into permanent life insurance in there. And yes, you'll pay as if you're somebody in their 60s. But it may be that you don't want the whole amount, but you need some amount. Say you want 50000 of whole life insurance and what that costs. If you started your planning earlier, you might have done a permanent policy along with the term policy way back. <laughs> <laughs> now, is this all stuff that you can do too? Like, Because you can see the big picture of the uh, investments and the you know yeah. rifts and yeah. lifts and all that stuff. Um, so you can then say this amount of life insurance and I can find a vehicle that would work for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. And sometimes as people, you know, do that prep planning work with their accountant um, and they're selling a business say and there's going to be tax consequences along the way working with the advisor right we come up with strategies together for someone so um. <laughs> you know you and I can see each other which our listeners can't fortunately because I'm making these faces going like oh my god your brain must just bulge at times with all this stuff to keep straight and organized and remember yeah, at times. Well, and it's learning each person's situation and then yeah, okay, yeah. here's the pieces. So I never, I'm not going to sit down with you and give you a plan right off the bat. It would be <laughs> sit with you, talk with you, learn about your goals, go away, percolate, remember the things that I need to remember, <laughs> write up a plan that's saying, hey, these are the things we need to look at. You know, some people don't really care about the tax hit. They're like, I'm dead then, who cares? Um, right? So, okay, if it doesn't matter to you, it doesn't matter to you. Yeah. Um, and I've heard situations, there's an accountant I partner with, and she's told me some situations where it actually has made sense not to have a will. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting little loopholes that can be found. Um, we never recommend not having a will. We always recommend having a will, power of attorney, and health representative. Those are the documents for BC, if people are listening from other places. But having those documents in place. And since we're talking about single people especially, power of attorney super important because if something happens to you and you go into the hospital say for three weeks but your rent needs to be paid and you can't do it you need someone who can go to the bank and pay that for you um, and pay those bills or if you're traveling and you're away and the condo fees go up or something like that you need someone who can act for you and if you're single make a little circle of singles right who can do that each other somebody you trust because it's as if you are walking in and making those changes (laughs) But someone who can look out, you know, where you can look out for each other. Even a spouse can't always do those things um, for somebody. But that power of attorney document is so important. Because you could come out of the hospital in worse shape financially than when you went in. But you're alive. (laughs) And you didn't pay your rent for six months. And your stuff has been sold or whatever, right? So hopefully that's not what happens. But we sort of were trained to think what's the worst kinds of things that could happen um, and try to help mitigate that for people. I got a feeling we could go on here for hours. This is crazy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This has been so valuable. Before you go, I mentioned at the beginning that you were involved in your community. Uh, Something that I think is fairly near and dear to your heart is 100 Women Who Care, uh, which is, I think, part of a larger initiative called 100 Who Care. I've tried to do a little bit of research. Um, Could you tell us about the philosophy of that? Uh, It seems like a great concept to get behind in terms of supporting one's own community. 
Yeah, absolutely. I yes, it's very near to my near and dear to my heart. <laughs> I have been involved. I think it's 2016. We started in Nanaimo, and so I'm in Central Vancouver Island, and so it's 100 women who care Mid Island, and uh, another group of women started it. I saw an article about it in the paper, and. I was reading the newspaper um, and it said the first meeting was coming up and I went, oh, um, so I got in touch with them and kind of got on the committee right away and joined the committee and we are coming up. Our next meeting is the beginning of March. And so what we do is meet four times a year for one hour tops. And I am often the MC, and like sometimes it's 45 minutes online. We're down to about 25 minutes, four times a year. And we ask that we have 100, and we've always had more than 100 women who are members. They commit to four meetings one year to donating $100 to whichever charity is chosen at that meeting. And so collectively, we're donating $10,000 or more at each meeting, and four times a year only. So $400, and there's tax, and makes sense because they're all registered charities as well. So our meeting in March, we're coming up, we should cross $250,000 that we've donated to our local charities. Yeah. yeah. And so, I think the key word there for me is local. Yeah. Yeah. And so there are groups in Victoria, Saanich, up and down the island, across Canada. It started in the U.S. They're going around the world. There are men's groups as well. There are some children's groups, and they're all part of that 100 Who Care um, right. organization. And there's starting to be some groups that are like 100 gay men or 100 oh, queers. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So whatever, there's 100 professionals, like it's what kind of whatever draws you together. Yeah. And that power of coming together and doing something so quickly and efficiently <laughs> to put money into our chair, into our local charities yeah. has been amazing. And I used to work in charities and I know how hard it is to raise money. And so the idea with this is we give them the money and all they have to do is write the receipts to our members and come and talk to our members for about eight minutes to say thank you. And that's it. So they're not writing grant proposals. They're not coming up with things. They can use it for admin. They can use it for staff. All those things that you can't get grants for. Um, they can use it for whatever they need to do. And for yeah. a don as a donor or like a member of the group, um, you know, you you feel like you're making an impact when you see $10,000 going to something like to your favorite charity, as opposed to, you know, writing your $50 check or you know, $25 absolutely. a month or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as a member, you're also allowed to nominate a charity. So you, our members can nominate a charity. And then if that chair, we draw three charities at each meeting. And if your charity is drawn, then if we were face to face, you have five minutes maximum to pitch to the group about why your charity should get the money. And then everybody votes. Um, we're doing it now where we get them to write up something that we send out to the members ahead of time and people vote on, um, through email. And then it comes back to us and we announce it at the live meeting. Um, oh, via okay. Zoom. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so we're still trying to keep the magic of we don't know who you're writing a check to that night. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all, the, all the adaptations we've made with COVID, it's uh, pretty crazy, but that's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Thank you for sharing about that. Yeah. Because as I say, it was just I know how important it is to you. So. The last 40 minutes has flown by. Um, my guest today has been Nahani Ackroyd, a certified financial planner on Vancouver Island. If you live in BC or the Yukon, um, then definitely contact Nahani for some honest, caring financial advice so you're prepared for your next 30, 40, 
50 years? <laughs> I don't know. Um, while she can't practice globally, there is a lot of good information on her website. I did look up your website. Um, I'm going to put that link in the show notes along with a link to probably 100 who care and then people wherever they are can find a local um, chapter. While I was preparing the show, I remembered that I'd prepared a spreadsheet several years ago uh, for boomers to get a clear picture of their finances, um, their expenses, the real dollars and cents of their lives, and potential retirement. Um, this week, I'm going to dust that off, check to make sure all the formulae are working, and next week, I'll explain the spreadsheet, the concept, and get it uploaded to the Two Boomer Women website. Um, in the meantime, thanks for tuning in. Please feel free to leave stars and comments wherever you listen to podcasts or contact me directly at twoboomerwomen.com. Thanks, Nahani. Have a great rest of week. Super. Thank you, Agnes. Bye.